0: We're at the last message uh, in this uh, stewardship series until we start it again, uh, just so you can actually say I have a pastor that talks all the time about money. Um, in October, we're going to have the last installment of our stewardship series, uh, but uh, this is the end of the stewardship series for May. Uh, it is exciting uh, to, uh, to uh, have gone through this journey, but it's also exciting to look ahead at what we're going to look at next week next week we're doing a uh, start a series called identity uh, trying to figure out who we are who we really are uh, and who God says we are it's talking about our identity in Christ and if you want a summary statement of all the sermons in one sentence you ready Next week we start looking at how I am accepted by God, loved by God, forgiven by God, and made brand new by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that. We're going to break that apart, and it's going to be a great journey. But it's a great help. It's a very personal journey for me as I have uh, personally uh, walked through this identity. Because many of us, and and uh, if not all of us, but guys like me, I'm a preacher guy. Uh, many times that is my identity. I'm a preacher. But that's not my identity that that's that's the identity I'm holding on to but that's not who I am Um, and so we need to peel back the layers of our life and look into the core of our soul look at the lies that we've been holding on to the things that we think ought to give us our meaning and purpose and significance and and evaluate uh, those things and then dismiss them as, as 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 needed so that begins our journey next week looking forward to that Today, uh, as I shared, we're, we're concluding this message, or concluding this series on stewards, and we're looking at really a classical text on stewardship. It's Malachi chapter three. Usually, uh, this is uh, the, uh, the the message that is used to uh, and really hit home on uh, the very first part. We're looking at Malachi chapter three. We're going to look at verses eight through ten, um, and uh, the. This passage begins by saying, will a man rob God? And every time I read that, I want to say it the way I've heard it. Are you going to rob God? You know, y'all, have y'all heard that? Yeah. I don't want to. You rob God. You're, I Can I do it one more time because I really like doing it? Can I get a breathe? See, if you really, if you really, and he's gonna, you go to rob God, and rob God. You got it. Hey, right, that I'm loving that. Now that you won't hear that again. But I get fired up about the other parts of the passage. You know, the this is a classic passage because it really gets to the core of uh, of who we are and and as followers of Christ but also as we give and and what's missed many times in this passage we can't get over the robbing God business to really see what God was trying to communicate to his people you see God wasn't trying to communicate guilt to his people in this passage Uh, that was part of it because they were guilty you know somebody says well you know you're making me feel guilty well I can only make you feel guilty if you already are it's just a thought. I don't want to add to it, but, but that, that's, that's kind of this passage. Many times you just can't get over the guilty feeling uh, when, when you read about robbing God. But that really wasn't the point that God was trying to make here. And this, it's not the message that he was trying to send through Malachi. What he was doing was he was trying to inspire expectancy and hope in his people. He wanted them to live with an expectancy that they did not have. They were going through tough times. Um, Malachi was the last is the last of the minor prophets. That means he's the closest one to Matthew. If you, in your Bible, you got Old Testament, New Testament. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And they're really close. Um, they're close in, in chronology too. Uh, uh, Matthew. Uh, begins with the birth of Jesus, which would be about uh, 4 B.C. Or, or 5 B.C., 6 B.C., something like that. Uh, Malachi, was, Malachi was preaching probably around 520 uh, to 515 B.C., uh, 6th century B.C., and, and what was happening in Jerusalem at this time was uh, you had this, this uh, Persian empire that was kind of in charge, and, and yet Nehemiah, had come and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Y'all remember? Nehemiah came and led the people to rebuild the walls. And, and, and then uh, a guy named Zerubbabel, Zer, Zer, Zerubbabel, Zer, Zerubbabel. I just like saying that word too, Zerubbabel. Or Zerubbabel. I, you could say it either way. I like Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Anyway, a guy named Zerubbabel was appointed, and he decided he was going to build the temple, rebuild the temple. So Nehemiah rebuilt walls, Zerubbabel started the second temple, and, and that's exactly what happened. Zerubbabel began to build the temple, and, 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 and yet the people were still filled with disappointment, despondency, despair. They were still ruled by a foreign power. They, they, they had lost sight of the things that once had given them hope. They, they, they were not even faithfully walking with the God who had brought them up out of exile, the God who had provided for them year after year, generation after generation. They weren't even walking with God now. And, 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 and so God sends Malachi to wake them up. And he, and he leads them, Malachi leads them through this journey, and God speaks to them through Malachi to, to inspire hope again and expectancy. And that's really what I want us to, as we end this, this, uh, this series, I want us to end with this note of expectancy, a, a note of hope, a, a, an understanding uh, that, that, uh, that we can live with expectancy of God's presence and power and provision even in our finances, in our life, and even in our finances. And so, as we look at Malachi, um, we, we we learn the lesson that God was trying to teach to them. See, I know that we live in tough times, and I know that there are a million reasons that we shouldn't give with expectancy or live with expectancy. See, I understand. I, I live with the same problems you live with. I, I get them every day. I I have the same bills due, right? I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I, I I, I, I have that uh, H-Rubs or uh, what, a- Hampton Roads Utility something, 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 H-Rubs. I, they send a bill to my house too. And apparently I've got a water leak or something because that bill is high, right? So I understand, I understand the difficulties. I get it. I understand it. I'm not joking about the water leak either. And, 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 or maybe it's just having four daughters. I got two, my two college girls have come home. Oh, that means a lot of water's going to be used. Washing hair. Whew, help me, Jesus. All right, anyway. So as we, as, as I understand that, but no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the dilemma or the problem or the, or, 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 or Whatever it is, we as followers of Jesus should live with expectancy, with hope, with a sense of hopefulness. And it's God's promise that makes us expect it. It's God's promise that makes us expect it. Now, in Malachi 3.10, we have God's promise unveiled. And it's only one of the promises in the the preaching of Malachi, the word of God through Malachi to his people, but it's the one we're going to talk about today. This is the promise of God that should make the people expectant, inspire them to hope, even as it relates to releasing the resources that God put in their care, releasing more of those resources back to God. It is the idea that we can live with an expectant heart, believing in the power and the presence and the passion of God for our lives. I love the picture of expectancy. I I, I do. I I, and when I when I think about expect thought about expectant, being expectant, having an expectant heart, being hopeful, uh, it led me back to when uh, I was in kindergarten or first grade. I was in kindergarten or first grade and, and uh, went to class and, and on our desks were these little styrofoam cups and the teacher set, called us up to her workstation and, and she poured a little dirt in those styrofoam cups and then she took a little seed and she put a little seed in those styrofoam cups and then she told us to water them and put them on the windowsill. And we water them and put them on the windowsill and then she said, "Now, now in a season, after a while, that seed is going to sprout into a plant and we were oohing and awing, and and she said now now that's going to happen so i stood there and i waited <laughs> have you ever been that way like growing a plant is some fast food order I, I was ready i was ready i was ready i had planted the seed and i was ready for the for the crops to come in but it didn't happen So I went over and I sat, and the teacher said, Now, it's not going to grow that way today, but I promise you, it will happen. And so I I came back the next morning. I got up, and I was ready to look inside the styrofoam cup. I was expectant. I walked up, and sure enough, dirt. Just dirt. And I looked at the teacher. You can tell I was a troubled student. I looked at the teacher. I said, I only have dirt. And she said, I promise you, the plant will come. I get there the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and for five days, maybe even ten. Now, by the time the tenth day came, and I looked in the cup, and there was only dirt, I wasn't very expectant on the eleventh day. I didn't have the same kind of energy and excitement. My, my, my enthusiasm was, uh, was draining away. But then, then, all of a sudden, surprise, surprise, the guy next to me got a plant. Not just any guy, this was Darren. Now, Darren and I were best friends, sorta. Of. We played our sports together, we played baseball together, played soccer together, played basketball together, played football together, we played all our sports together, and 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 he thought that he was better than I was. And I thought that I was better than him. We were always in competition. So sure enough, when he got a little sprout out of the dirt. I was mad. And he was happy. He said, I got green, I got green. And 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 so I, I took my cup and I looked at the teacher. I said, It's it's happened for him, but it's not happened for me. What's wrong? She said, Promise you, it's gonna happen. I come the next day. Two more people get sprouts, and I still have dirt. I'm not looking at that cup anymore. I'm upset. I'm upset. Other people getting there, getting their crops in, and I still have a seed in the dirt. My seed's never going to come up. I don't know what's going I don't want to look at this. I am upset. But then I get there and kind of walk over and give a little glance to the windows, and sure enough, there's green. A little sprout has come out of the ground. I can literally, I can see it in my brain right now. It was so significant. That little plant coming out. And it was, it was, the top of it was still stuck in the dirt. Had that little sprout had come up and and the top of it was still stuck in the dirt, and the teacher said, Don't touch it, you ruin it, and I did. (laughs) I wanted that thing had worked hard to get up. I wanted to give it a little extra help. And sure enough, I got a plant just the way the teacher said. The teacher said it's gonna happen. And it happened. Now, here's what, here's what God's saying. God's saying, I say it's going to happen, and I can guarantee you if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And we need to live each day with an expectancy built upon this promise. Now, this promise is founded, it's, it's built on God's love. You see, it is God's passionate love that secures his promises. It's God's passionate love for you and me. Now, I want you to look at, or maybe not, but Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. Malachi begins preaching, and the very first words he says to the people is this. Thus says the Lord God, Oh, I have loved you. Great message. God has loved you you know that's the message that moves the hand of God to make a promise and fulfill it well you go and you get a loan from the bank uh, for a car or a house or something you 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 go in and you say I want a loan for so much money and they're going to ask you for security they want the loan secured. You've got to have some assets or some future income or something like that. They're going to look at you, at, at your portfolios and, <laughs> and it made me giggle I don't have one. Uh, they're they're going to they're they're have, uh, uh, they're going to take a look at all of that. They're going to look at any assets you have and before they give you a loan, they need something to secure that loan. When God makes a promise, it is secured by His Love, And his love is passionate for us. Oh, how he loves you. It's so much so that, that he wanted to come through on the biggest promise that he had made. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. I, I want you to look there. Go ahead and, and flip. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. I want you to listen uh, and, and look and see that this promise that, that God was making. All right, so Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. All right, stop there. When, 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 when God says, be, and He's speaking through Malachi, he said, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. You put that in parentheses, you can underline it or asterisk, and out to the side, you put John. The Baptist, because that's who he's talking about. So, here in 517 BC, he's talking about someone that's going to be born around 8 or 9 BC. And he said, I'm going to send this guy, this messenger who will prepare the way. And that messenger is John the Baptist. All right, now, second sentence. He says, uh, uh, And the Lord whom you seek. Will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. All right, so there are two other titles in verse one. One is the Lord who you will seek or who you seek, and the second title is the messenger of the covenant in whom you will delight. Okay? Those two, the Lord whom you seek and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, those two titles are the same person, that is Jesus. Now, I don't have time to break all that down, but the grammar of the Hebrew makes it very clear that the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight and the Lord who you seek, those are the same people, and those same people are Jesus Christ. So you have John the Baptist. In the first sentence you have Jesus in the second sentence and God says I'm sending the messenger and Jesus is coming and he will surely come and we have received that promise. The promise has been made and it has been fulfilled in those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. When we, by faith, trusted Jesus as our only hope for rescue, when we bent our life to God and trusted in Jesus, his death on the cross as payment for our sin, and and his resurrection from the dead as, as an offering of life, in that moment we received the promise. And that promise was brought to us by God's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here, here is the basis, the security, the foundation of God's promises. It is His love. And that's good news for us because if it was dependent upon our goodness, then those promises would go flying away. We live so much of our life as though our expectancy, our hope, is based on our efforts, what we do, how well we do. Now, we've got this whole GPA system. I love the GPA. At least I do now that I'm not in school. You know, this whole GPA system, we've got seniors who are graduating. We're going to honor them next week here in, in worship. And, and we've got, uh, we've got uh, graduates from college, and we've got gr- graduates from master's uh, and, and uh, 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 beyond bachelor's degrees. And, and, and all of those, and, and, and I was, you know, I got, I got my high school diploma, and I got my college diploma, and I got my master's diploma, and I got my PhD diploma, all right? So I appreciate GPA. But here's the problem with GPA. The problem happens when uh, if you're in college and you're freshman year and you get a 3.5 and and, and 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 your parents say, "Oh, I love you. You got a 3.5. I love you." That's wonderful. But then the next semester when you get, I don't know, maybe a 1.87, I'm not saying that's true. <laughs> Could have been a little bit lower. <laughs> when you get the letter, have you ever had the letter? In college, you get the letter? I've had the letter. Mr. Thomas, if you do not reform your GPA, you will no longer be welcome at this institution of higher learning because, after all, it is an institution of Higher learning, not bass fishing and not golf, and so I, I had to uh, I had to adjust. Uh, but but imagine you come home with a one point eight seven. You bring that and there ain't no love for you anymore. So you get love if you hit the three point five, and you lose the love if you hit a one point eight seven. Aren't you glad God doesn't operate on a scale like that? See, God operates on a scale whether you are 3.5 or a 0.5, God loves you the same. And the promises that he makes to you and to me is based upon his love, not based upon our performance. Oh, I have loved you, says the Lord. So, it's that it's the 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 It's that passionate love of God for us that becomes the engine for our expectancy. We can expect the promises to come to pass because of what God has done, because of who he is, because of his heart of love for us. I'm going to focus, therefore, on God's changeless, unchanging love rather than my problems. You see, that's the second part. If we're going to get expectant, then we got to have the right focus. We need to refocus. We need to focus on God's unchanging love. Look down in Malachi 3:6. He says, "For I am the Lord God, and I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O house of Jacob." God said, "Because of my compassion, my mercy, my love and my grace toward you, I have protected you from being blown away on this earth. And yet the children of Israel couldn't see God's love. All they could see was their problems. And they had a lot of them. Now look, understand, I get it. I do. I I have problems just like you do. And so often I can focus on the problems. Listen, real live example, see if this doesn't, it doesn't ring true. Yesterday I laid down wood floor. And that was a wonderful experience, really. And I'm not finished yet. The hardest part is yet to come. The hardest part is that corner where all the mistakes that you made at the other corner come to pass. Right. So that's the hardest part. Up against the wall. All right. So so I'm 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 having to lay this wood, and and I work. I mean, I work like a dog all day long. And and uh, and and then uh, I'm uh, lights faded, and I'd say I'm done for today. And and everything's done except for this little bitty corner. And and, and what would happen, I mean, just suppose, what would happen if, I don't know, the person that you care about most of all in this world, your wife comes in and says, isn't there a little gap over here on this little line over here? What? you got a whole floor to look at and you see the little gap. Now, I understand that. That's our personality. That's our, that's our perspective. That's the way we are. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we focus on the little gap, rather than the blessing of the whole floor, from now until the day we die or we move or we burn the house down, my wife is going to be looking at that little crack. You know what I'm saying? She can't not see it now. Don't you wish there were things you could not see now? So today... If we're, going, if we're going to live with expectancy, we're going to have to stop focusing on the little gaps, the problems, and start focusing on the big, beautiful God who loves us. He's the one that doesn't change. And no matter what we do, he is, his love remains constant. His love remains secure. Remember the promises that he makes available to us not based upon what we do primarily. They're based upon his heart of love for us. Those promises are in a vault, and they're ready to be unleashed on you and me. Understand, that's the way God works. That's the way his love works. He's got them. Malachi 3.10, I've got all these, these, these blessings in the vault of heaven, and I'm ready to unleash them on you. But sometimes we can't see all the blessings in the vault of heaven because we're focused on our problems. Israel was focused on their problems. They couldn't see anything good that was coming down their way. They failed to live in expectancy because they failed to see more than their problems. So we need to wake up every morning. We need to focus on God's unchanging love for us, not our problems. And when we focus on God's unchanging love for us and not our problems, then we need to give each day to God's promise. We need to give each day to God's promise. What what do I mean by that, give each day? I mean, I wake up in the morning and I say, Now, God, you made a promise, and I'm going to live in such a way that that I can experience the, the vault of heaven open up and falling down on me. I'm giving this day to your promise. It means that I'm going to entrust myself, I'm going to entrust my today, I'm going to entrust my yesterday, I'm going to entrust my tomorrow to the promise of God, to the powerful, presence, passionate love of a living God. I'm going to entrust myself. I'm going to let the hands off the wheel. I mean, I'm going to sing Jesus Take the Wheel, and I'm going to live it too. I'm just going to give all to him. Give each day to God's promise, including my money. Money, money, money. See, the money, that, oh, that becomes sticky. When it comes to money, we, we still, no matter, and I'm a preacher, dude. I'm supposed to have this stuff down, but there is still a part of me that struggles with, that's my money. Oh, don't tell me you don't struggle with that, too, a little bit. Maybe you're just a little more spiritual than I am, but man, that's a, that's a hard thing. I, I, I mean, let's just be honest. And I might not say it because I'm more, uh, I'm, I'm more educated in spiritual jargon and stuff. So I won't say, well, that's my money what I'll say is, well, you know, God has given me charge over this money, and I do believe that uh, in giving me charge over this money, he would desire for me to multiply and, and, and produce wonderful things in my home and, and uh, yada, yada. You know, you, you just you get better and more skilled at, 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 at rationalizing stuff. But when it all comes down to it, either I believe that's God's money or I don't. And if I believe that's God's money, then I need to take my hands off that money and just trust. And when I take my hands off that money and I trust, and I look to the God who loves me and who has made promises to me, and I say, God, now I'm going to give my money and myself to you today. And God says, Okay, I got you. That's the promise. There's a powerful principle in Scripture, and we're going to close with this, but there's a powerful principle in Scripture. And it's a big word, but I wanted to say it because I enjoy saying big words like Zerubbabel and this word. This powerful principle in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is the principle of reciprocity. The principle of reciprocity. Now, the reason that's important is because what the principle of reciprocity says is, it says, if you go through this door, God's going to set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. It means that, that if you trust the Lord, He's going to lead you beside still waters. It, the principle of reciprocity is you behave this way and you get this result. You do this, God does that. You do this, God does that. Now, the principle of reciprocity is so powerful for us, and yet we ignore it so often. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, here's the principle of reciprocity. You ready? Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The principle of reciprocity for our spiritual life is real simple. If I delight myself in the law of the Lord, if I meditate on it day and night, meditating on it day and night means that not only do I listen to it or think about it, but I'm actually doing it. So if I delight myself in the law of the Lord, if I meditate on God's law day and night, if I pursue his will with great passion, then I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be blessed in such a way that I'm going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf will not weather, and whatever I do shall prosper. That's the power of reciprocity. I delight myself in God, and then God unleashes blessing on me. Don't you understand? This is the way we're supposed to live. Now, make no mistake. It works in our spiritual life, and it works in our financial life as well. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. The person who has a generous soul will experience abundance. And the person who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When I have a generous spirit, when I have an open hand rather than a closed fist, when I have a generous spirit, and this is talking primarily about money stuff, when I have a generous spirit, then God promises to open his hands to me and pour out his blessings on me. That's the promise. So, I behave this way in God's program, and it unlocks the the, the vault of heaven so that God will pour out his blessings on me. Here's where we miss it. The promise is in place. God's love is in place. But we miss it because we don't unlock the vault by giving ourselves to the promise every day. So, I guess it comes down to this, and, and really it does come down to this. When it comes to living with expectancy and giving with expectancy, do you really believe that God will take care of you? Do you really believe that he will bless your socks off? That's a paraphrase of Malachi 3.10. He's just going to bless your socks off. I mean, get the picture. God says, I got all these blessings up in heaven. You bring, you, you bring your faithfulness. You give each day to God's promise. You bring in the tithe and the offering, and here's what God says he'll do. God says, I'm going to unlock all the blessings of heaven, and I'm going to pour it down on you until you can't take it any more, more than you need more than you can eat, more than you can handle. This is God's promise, and it's built on the principle of reciprocity. God says, I love you extravagantly. Just let me love you extravagantly. That begins today with you and me. It reveals itself in our money, in our marriages, in our families, in our life. Today, stop living by a ledger sheet and start living based upon God's passionate, unchanging love for you. I'll leave you with this verse. It's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Powerful verse, and I'm going to read it twice. And I'm going to read it slowly because y'all sometimes accuse me of reading verses fast. First Timothy... That's not an accusation, it's just true. I know it is. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. I want you to listen to this. As for the rich, or the wealthy, or people who have money in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, I want to read it again. First Timothy 6. 17 through 19. Now, just listen to the words. As for the rich, or those who have money in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know what my prayer is for us today as followers of Jesus Christ? If you're not a follower of Christ, my hope today is that you might be so enamored by the love of God through Christ that you meet Jesus, that you come to Christ, that you embrace him. That's my hope for you. But for most of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, you know what my prayer is? My prayer is that you and I start, stop living, looking at the negative, fixating on the things that have uh, demoralized us, and that we would focus on the unchanging love of God so that we might experience hopeful anticipation every day of God's great movement and provision in our life. That we would live with expectancy. And as we live with expectancy, we give ourselves generously. Wholeheartedly to God and to others. I want to be hopeful every day that I live. What about you?